Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Praise the Lord. It's been so good to be with you here for the last several weeks sharing our series of messages, Jesus Loves Me, and kind of going, uh, just kind of reminiscing together about the ways that Christ's love has been manifest towards us. And um, we've talked about for several weeks now how that he left heaven for us and the way that he leads us and how that he heals us. And these points alone, just, just these few things are enough for us to rejoice and, and have a worship service to end all. Uh, but today we're going to consider the fact that one of the ways that Christ demonstrates his love towards us, and if you haven't picked up on the theme so far through the course of our worship service, then maybe you haven't been paying attention uh, to that direction. But the way, one of the ways that Christ demonstrates his love to us is that he sets us free. And he gives us liberty. We are free in Christ Jesus. Amen? Come on, somebody. Say amen. We are free in Christ Jesus. You know, there's so many objections to Christianity that we hear uh, posed throughout society. You know, people will say things like it's for the weak or it's for those with dependency issues. But actually, it's, it's quite contrary to that. In fact, the Christian life is not a life of weakness, although we do talk about submission and things like that often, but truly the life of Christianity is a life of empowerment. It is a a life of empowerment. The Christian life should be a victorious life wherein we receive the strength and we're given the strength not to succumb to the pressures of this life, but to be able to look at these things, as Paul says, and say, in all these things, we've been made more than conquerors. Now, I want to read a text with you this morning. If you have your Bible, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 18, and we're going to read down through the first couple of verses of chapter 6. If you're ever reading your scripture, keep in mind, let me rephrase that. When you're reading your scripture, (laughs) keep in mind that chapter and verse designations weren't present in the original rendering. So there may be instances where you need to back up a little bit or maybe you need to read forward a little more to get the full meaning and the context of what the writer is saying. Don't just get to the end of the chapter and say, wow, that was good and stop there, especially when the next chapter starts with therefore because that's where the good stuff's coming. Right there is is at therefore, okay? So we're going to start here. uh, We're going to start here with a therefore, and I challenge you to go back and read the greater portion of Romans chapter 5 in your own time. But today we're going to start in verse 18, Romans chapter 5. We're going to read together down through verse 6, chapter 6, verse 2. And it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. 
So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. I'm sorry for misspeaking. We actually did, if you didn't catch on, read down through verse 6 of chapter 6. But Paul writes to the Roman church, and he says to them that we who have tasted the goodness of God's grace are no longer slaves to sin. Now, I want to back up here and unpack a few of these verses as we move along. If you read there Romans chapter 5, 20 and 21, it says this, God's law, and I'm going to read this in a little different translation just for the clarity of thought this morning. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. But as I said, it's just because of the vernacular it uses and the way that it translates here this morning. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. When I look in the Word and I look at the the mirror of God's goodness, as I said before, everything that I am not, He is. And I am not perfect, but He is. I am not righteous, but He is. I am not holy, but He is. And when I look at the righteousness and the holiness of God, it reveals to me, as it did to the prophet Isaiah, how short I have come in attaining that standard. And I have to say, woe is me, for I am undone. Woe is me, for I am undone. Paul continues here and says, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to tell you today, there are some things associated with the grace of Jesus Christ. And we've been singing about freedom this morning, and we've been declaring the liberty that is ours through Christ Jesus. But there are a lot of things, a lot of philosophies, I'll say, that are floating around out on the religious landscape that are actually mistakes in the context of the liberty that Jesus Christ has come to afford us. You see, for everything that God offers, the devil will fabricate a counterfeit. It's a cheap knockoff. It's it's not real. 
It's just, it's something basically that looks enough like what God said, but it appeals so much to the flesh and the carnality of who we are that a lot of times we'll fall for it. And we'll believe in it and we'll, we'll just swallow it up. But here's the thing, it's not just that it's a cheap knockoff. It's, it's not just that it's less than, it's deadly. It's deadly, and we must be vigilant not to be deceived. And the mistaken liberties that a lot of people have as it pertains to the grace of Jesus Christ is this, is that somehow or another, by the goodness of God, he has empowered us to just simply do as we please. To simply believe that we're going to live a life free of consequence regardless of how we live. Elsewhere in the Gospels, though, it says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. It also says that the wages of sin is death. Somehow or another, there's, there's a, a philosophy that goes around much of Christendom that says, somehow or another, God's grace has pardoned me from sin... But now, that same grace that pardoned me from sin becomes the justification whereby I sin. The more I sin, the more grace I have, and I'm just going to do my thing, and God in, in turn is going to, in his gracious way, keep his eye upon me and turn his eye away from the guilt because, you know, that's all pardoned in Jesus Christ. This is always been a problem with man's understanding of God's grace. Even in the first century, the apostle Jude wrote to the early church warning them about people who had, as he says, crept in unawares and had begun preaching this word. And in Jude, chap, uh, Jude of the third and fourth verses, we read this, and it says, Dear friends, I had eagerly uh, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this to you because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. One translation says that they were preaching that God's grace was actually a license for them to sin. And the condemnation, Jude says, of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. You see, many people prefer this, this message of grace. It's, I think we have a theological classification for it. We call it greasy grace. You know, we're just going to live any old kind of way. The grace is going to be applied, and we're going to slide through. Right? You see, many folks prefer this because they won't come to the church and subject themselves to sound teaching of the Word because they don't want to hear anybody tell them that their lifestyle needs to change. 
that there's something in their lives that needs to be corrected, that needs to be purged. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he told him this. He said, preach the word, be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, but they will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Can I tell you today, church, that we live in such a generation? We live in such a time that people are listening not for the truth, but they're listening for an application of truth. An application of truth, not that calls me to conformity to the truth, but rather conforms a truth to me that I can custom tailor, that I can make it say what I want it to say. And the devil would have you and I believe that we can call ourselves Christians and just because we give lip service to the Lord, but then that we're free to continue to live whatever kind of sinful fashion that we desire. And friends, today that is just simply not true. Make no mistake about it, because many have. A sinful lifestyle is not a life of liberty. I don't care how much fun you conclude it to be, how much enjoyment that you believe you're getting out of it, a sinful lifestyle is by no means a life of freedom. The book of Proverbs puts it this way, there is a way that appears right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Don't be deceived this morning. A life of sinfulness will eventually lead to bondage and ultimately to death. Let me tell you for just a minute here about the realities of sin. We read here in in Romans 6, 1 and 2, Paul writes and says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Paul emphatically states here and says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And you see, the truth of the matter is that it's true that sin will cause eternal separation from a loving God. If you or I leave this world outside of the good grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are promised an eternity of suffering and despair that is unimaginable and that we can't even begin to comprehend. But too often we we preach the message of grace this way. And we basically say that sin is just all fun and games until somebody dies and spends eternity apart from God. And while eternity is definitely the most important thing, it's not the only thing. And I think sometimes that's where we lose connection with grace and exactly the impact and the power that it has in our lives is that we've made the grace of God about something that happens when we die. But can I tell you that the grace of God is so much richer and so much fuller than simply us having our fire insurance paid up. Jesus Christ came to offer us not only grace for dying, but also grace for living. A grace for living. 
You see, the promise of Jesus, and we recount this promise in this room many, many times. You're well familiar with it. It says this, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, let me tell you something. In this sin-sickened world in which you and I live, you cannot experience, you cannot know, you cannot taste the abundant life that Jesus so desires you have apart from the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ being applied to your life. You see, salvation, as I said, is not just about fire insurance. You say, well, pastor, don't you believe in deathbed salvations? I certainly do. I believe that's how amazing God's grace truly is. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says. John writes and says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sometimes the, the, the most amazing thing about Scripture is this, the glaring absence of qualifications of the statements that are made. He says, if you confess your sins. He doesn't say if you confess them before you're 25 and live at least 30 years for Jesus. He just says if. If you confess your sins. The sinner on the cross confessed himself to Jesus, and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And I believe what Jesus can do for the, sin, for the thief on the cross, he can do for the sinner in the hospital bed or the sinner in palliative care or any other place. If they will call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. But if you're here today and you know Jesus, I want to encourage you that the grace that he affords you is so much more than just a preparation to leave this world. It's a preparation also to live in this world. See, Paul is quick to to those questioning in the Roman church, and he says, hey, this, this is not how it works. They said, hey, if the grace of God abounds so much more in the presence of sin, then should we not generate some sin so that God's grace can abound more? Paul says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's not not the way this works. God doesn't need your sins for his grace to be multiplied in your life. I want to say that again. God does not need your sins for his grace to be multiplied in your life. You shouldn't seek to go on sinning all the while believing that God's just going to wash it all out in the end. It's not that he can't. It's because the effect of sin is not just eternal, it's also immediate. Sin doesn't just affect my eternity, sin affects my right now, my right here. You see, the the things that God has called sin, the things that he has labeled as a transgression, he has done so in large part because they're not good for us. They are absolutely not good for us. Find me one thing in Scripture that God says, thou shalt not, and say, well, if we could, that would be good for us. That would be advantageous for us. No, we we can't because we're not going to find that. Listen, adultery is destructive. It, it ruins families. It destroys the outlook that young children have on life, and it causes them to have a jaded view of marriage and relationship. Fornication is dangerous. 
Paul says, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says the two are united into one. When we engage in acts of fornication, we become a part of the immorality of that other person. We exchange DNA. We join yourself in spirit to the other person. Listen to me, young people. The reason, that, the reason that God doesn't want you to have sex before marriage is not because he doesn't want you to have any fun. It's because he doesn't want you to have an emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical tie with someone for the rest of your life that you're not planning to spend the rest of your life with. He doesn't want that factoring into the relationship that he has planned and designed for you. He doesn't want you to contract a disease that's going to prevent you from enjoying the great and glorious future that he has in store for you. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, run from sexual sin. Flee from it. Why? It's not good for you. Get out. Get away from it. Listen, unforgiveness and hatred, they're not good for you. couple of quotes here from Psych Matters, a, a website called Psych Matters. It says, holding on to hate is like letting someone live rent-free in your mind. They continued with this with some medical data here, and it says this, the effects of feeling hatred over a long period of time can have devastating effects on your mind and body. Feelings of rage and hatred build up in the mind, body, and soul, affecting the body's organs and natural processes and breeding further negative emotions. Hatred is a form of neurosis, fixation, and judgment that is harmful to you. If continued, it leads to conflicts in relationships and to bodily disease. That's why in the Word in Ephesians 4, Paul writes to the church and says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Why? Because it's not good for us. It's not in keeping with the abundant life that Jesus said that he came to give us. I want to return here to a definition of liberty. And we read further here in, in this book of Romans, skipping down to verse 4. Paul continues and writes this. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father... Now we also may live new lives. Jesus didn't just extend grace to you for you to have everlasting life. He gives you grace right now to have a brand new life. An abundant life. A full life. And he continues here and says this. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves 
to sin. As stated earlier, there's a belief that true liberty is simply having what we want. Being able to do what we want to do. Well, can I tell you that that's only true as much as we understand what our liberties are based on. If our, if our liberties are based on our natural appetites, then that's not true liberty. A carnal mind, you see, is at enmity against God. Your carnal mind, therefore, is actually at enmity against God's perfect will for your own life. How many of you have ever estimated something in your own life and existence and you've thought this is the way it needs to be and God said no and you were angry that God said no. Fast forward to the end of it, you stood in obedience regardless, but fast forward to the end of the situation when it all played out and you did what God told you to do, you found out that his way was right and you were wrong, nana nana boo boo. He was right. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And let me tell you something. We live in a world and a society that glamorizes sin and that, that holds it up as the normative and the thing that we ought to strive for and what we ought to want to be a part of. Can I tell you something? There's... Mm, I don't want to hurt your feelings this morning. There's nothing wholesome or helpful about watching 15, 20 different women clamor all over one man. Or vice versa. That's, that's not God's design. That's not God's way. There's nothing glorifying about watching purely demonic things and allowing them to have place in our minds and in our thoughts. Well, the world glorifies it as suspenseful, exciting, thrilling. You'll be on the edge of your seat. But it's not good. It's not good. And you may want to walk into those situations and you may want to partake of those things and say, it's okay, I'm covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something. He came to deliver you from things like that. He came to set you free from those type of things. And you know what I've found? Is that I have the liberty to turn it off. Say, God, I know that's not what you want for my life. And I know that if I'll trust you, God, if I'll just sacrifice this little bit, then I know that what you're going to do for me is going to far outweigh and exceed. But I've got to be willing to put it down. Paul wrote to the 
Romans and he says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. See, if we simply allow the unchecked desires of the flesh to lead us, we're going to be destroyed. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia and said this, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Paul writes again here, this verse continues and says, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Paul, again, to the Roman church, if we continue that verse, it says, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and to peace. Can I tell you today what true liberty is? True liberty is actually having our wants redefined until our desire is to do the will of God and trusting fully and believing that what He wants for us is better than what we want for ourselves. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 12 and says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Church, I want to tell you today, we are no longer slaves to sin. Don't allow those things in your mind that are contrary to God's word to abide in your heart, in your home, and in your minds. Paul writes, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to we demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to the cross of Christ. Jesus came not only to set you free from the penalty of sin, but he came also to set you free from the power of sin. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are free in his name. You can stand triumphant over the power of sin. You are free to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised without the guilt and the shame, without the weight of bondage in your life. Jesus said to his disciples, we read it in John chapter 8, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free indeed. It Listen, listen, it will always require a level of trust to release what you perceive as good in order to embrace what God has promised is best. I want to say that again. It requires a level of trust in order for you to release what is perceived as good and embrace what God has promised is best. Let go of unforgiveness. Let go of bitterness. Let go of those desires and tendencies that we know aren't pleasing to God. Let go of those things that we call liberties, but they're actually holding us captive in our lives. 
See, liberty, true liberty, is not just about having our way. But it's about being free to walk in the fullness of what God has prepared for us. We sing songs like, I surrender all, and those things, but, and the enemy will get in your mind, and he'll say, look, you don't, you don't want to do that. You've got a lot of living to do. You've got a lot of life before you. You need to wait till some other time, because you, ju- you just don't want to, you don't want to leave the freedom that you have to walk into that type of bondage. You know, the church, it's just all about what you can do and what you can't do, what you should do and what you shouldn't. And you just, you don't want any part of that. But can I tell you today, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Because if we'll seek him first in our lives, we'll find out that there's some of those things we just don't even want to do anymore. We just lay them down. God, you know what? I recognize that that thing was destroying me. That thing was tearing me up. And I want to have what you want me to have. And Jesus came so that you could have the freedom to walk in life and to experience the fullness of what he has in store for you. Listen, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and I'm closing with this remark. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he said this Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man the things that God has in store for those that love him. And we say, yes, Pastor, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. But can I tell you that speaking in the truest context, Paul wasn't referencing heaven in those remarks. He was talking about what you and I can experience in the Spirit. And I'm here to tell you today that on the cross, Jesus Christ purchased a liberty for you to have a life that eye has not seen, that ear has not heard, and it hasn't even crossed your imagination yet what he wants to do with you and for you. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory, peace that passes all understanding, A life whereby you can stand back and observe the complexities and the difficulties of this life and say, what shall we say to all these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Worry, anxiety, fear, all of those things have to perish at the name of Jesus. His grace is sufficient. Jesus loves me. He sets me free. 
Would you stand with me? I want to ask our altar team to assemble this morning. Our worship team has a very special song prepared for us this morning. And they're going to lead us. And as they do so this morning, I just want to invite you that if there's anything in your life, any part that has not been surrendered to the grace, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, won't you come today and trust him with that? I'm not saying you're a sinner. I'm not labeling you with any classification. I'm just simply saying, Jesus loves you and he wants you to walk above it. He wants you to rise above it. He wants you to stand victorious over it. Maybe there's some hardness in your heart, some bitterness that you've been harboring. And the thought process of your mind is, well, if I let it go, who's going to settle the score? Can I tell you today that when you taste the peace and the victory that Jesus offers, you're not going to care about the score anyway. Maybe there's a little piece of brokenness that you've been hanging on to. It's been binding you. It's been holding you back. It's been keeping you down. I want to tell you today that Jesus is here to offer a grace that is greater than all those things. But most importantly, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you've never asked him into your heart, you've never received him as your Lord, and you say, Pastor, I believe today is that day for me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to ask you right now if that's you and you say, Pastor, I want to pray to receive Christ. I want to walk in that newness of life. I want to receive him today as my Lord and King. If that's you, would you just slip a hand up wherever you are? Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.